Jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. Yeah, I'd say, I, I'd say I'm a romantic. I love a bit of romance, me. When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Maybe we'll have a good surprise for you. That's Vieira! And it's Bradley Adams through on goal. I'm recording. Welcome back to the Different Knock podcast, episode number 47 with Alexander Moneypenny and the Dunstable Deitch. It's funnier because I know it's coming. This is like the sixth time we tried this intro and not today. We recorded an entire episode yesterday um, and I exported everything and I sounded like I was talking through some kind of air vent or something <clears throat> i'm also still coughing because i went for a run which we talked about yesterday but well yeah was it like, yesterday re- was it yesterday re- repeat, you went for a run yeah repeat the same like small talk is that <laughs> is that worth it yeah i went not? for a run today how was your run my oh, friend rah, rah, running's uh, running's annoying is wh- how jarring would it be to have a podcast that just starts with welcome back to the podcast so football then arsenal <laughs> just nothing you always got to have a bit. Yeah. You always got to have a bit of small talk. I feel a bit. Got to of, warm into it. Yeah, you got to, you got to butter them up. Uh, speaking of which, how are you, Brad? I'm really good, thanks, mate. How are you? Really good. That's a yeah. That's that's nice. Um, what makes you really good? Myself and my partner, we ordered um, a pasta kit from a company called Pasta Evangelists. This is not an ad. I have not been paid by them to do this. Don't worry, Brad. No one thought it was. If 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 anyone wants to pay us to do this kind of shit, feel free. Um. And it uh, it got delivered today. Basically, like they just they send like fresh pasta and stuff to you, and it's like meals. It's almost oh, like nice. a meals on wheels, like a takeout, like a takeout kind of thing. But like you cook the food, but it's like proper good pasta. Mm. They've prepped all the ingredients. It just you have to kind of do the final cooking and stuff. And we're doing that um, tomorrow for Valentine's Day, and it is um, we're doing it a bit early. Ah, and uh, mate, I've looked at it and it looks fucking banging i'm so excited are you a romantic brad you're a romantic man yeah i'd say i i'd say i'm a romantic i love a bit of romance me what's the most romantic thing you've ever done probably i um me i i'm 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 massively into movies me and my girlfriend love to sit down and watch a movie and um i had the day off work randomly and you made a movie no 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 (laughs) and she was coming over to mine i'll get it and i'll show you actually it's oh, quite, you can see it. Obviously, is this? A, but, uh, I'm concerned. You made a movie, Brad. Is this? No, it's, it's not. A movie. And you showed it to your girlfriend. What? <laughs> um, I made a movie box. Oh. So I wrote out, I think over 350 movies on a piece of paper, on like different pieces of paper. Yeah. And it's got like the movie, the director, and the year it came out. And they're all like scrunched up in this little box, and I bought a nice box and I put and them what, all in there. And what do you do with it? Do you pick one out? So to... it's like a, it's like just a. If we, 
if we want to watch something specific, we watch something specific. Like if I'm in the mood to watch, say, Breaking Bad, or if she's in the mood, we're watching a series called High Fidelity at the moment with Zoe Kravitz, which is pretty good. Okay. Um, but if we don't know what to watch, we will go to said box, give it a shuffle, and pick out a movie. And nice. Yeah. That's really cute. That's, what about I, you? What's the what's what's the most romantic that. thing you've done? Not as romantic as that, Brad. <laughs> I, I genuinely can't. I was thinking, yeah, I, I don't I don't think there's anything I've got like that, that that's that romantic. That's really nice. I'm a big fan of like a a written note sometimes. Oh yeah. I love a I love an uns, unsurprising get I'm a bit more of like a I'll buy you a coffee on the way home kind of romantic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That cute little gestures like that. Yeah, do you know what I mean? One of them ones. Um that's enough that's enough small talk. <laughs> Everyone's, everyone's going to get on with a fucking football. Come everyone's on. turned may, it off now. Listen, or, or yeah, or maybe, or listen, who knows? There may be people who come just to listen to the small talk. Who knows? Maybe, maybe. I, I quite enjoy our small talk, bro. I sometimes listen back to it and go, that's great. Um, good content. Good content. Uh, <laughs> speaking of content, actually, we should mention, um, we've now got a TikTok. We do. We're we're getting down down with the kids. Um, yeah. We, what are we called again? Uh, we are currently called at the different knock podcast. Um, that'll be changed in thirty days to just at diff knock. I made a bit of a boo boo. Um, should it be di- shouldn't shouldn't it be diff talk? Surely, yeah, it could be diff talk. We'll we'll have a discussion about that. Uh, but if you just search diff knock and go on users, we will pop up and you'll see us. Give us a follow. We're yet to post any content, but that will be coming soon. Get that sweet, sweet algorithm going. Um, so uh, today there's no football. Obs, there's been no football matches. I'm, miss- I'm missing it actually. Um, yeah, it's kind of it kind of structures my week more than anything else. Um, but what we're going to be doing is we're going to do uh, some talking points. So we basically got four or five things that we just want to get through, and uh, it's sort of Brad's nightmare. Really, it's just one. It's one subject. <laughs> You can't. You can't just bring up Bruno and Liverpool. Just random. He will. He'll. I just can't do. He'll it. find a way. Oh, I. I will. I will. I did. I did in the first recording. Of yeah, this. yeah. I'll definitely in the second. <laughs> we did this whole thing yesterday. Literally, this entire episode yesterday. Um, but anyway, these things happen. Brad has kindly uh, uh, agreed to re-record it. So, welcome to Talking Points. Here we go. Talking point number one. David Luiz. Um, this is kind of just a, a, a space where things that aren't necessarily discussed around the game can get discussed a bit more. Yeah. And I kind of wanted to bring up David Luiz just to kind of have the conversation around the kind of the past, the present and the future. What you think he's brought to the club? What do you think his role is at the moment or what do you make of his role or how how what he's doing at the moment is impacting on the club at the moment, and then what you think we should be doing in the future. Um, do you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. Um, I think I think this discussion will be probably a bit more concise than yet than yesterday because yeah. we've <laughs> almost like formulated our ideas through recording yeah, this yeah, podcast yeah, yeah. Uh, already. So my opinion of it is um, that moving forward, he is somebody that should be moved out of the club for kind of a myriad of different reasons, mainly because he's on quite a lot of money and also because he is, again, part of this culture that seems to be changing at the club. And while I think he's been good, 
in a certain sense to be kind of um, a leader in the dressing room, helping, you know, the young Brazilians. I think especially this year with um, the introduction, uh, the introduction of Gabriel Magalhaes, having David Luiz will probably have been quite helpful. You know, I don't, I'm pretty sure he didn't speak and may still not speak a lot of English. So having another Brazilian... <laughs> sorry, sorry to pause you. Did you see the video of Matt Ryan speaking to Gabriel in Spanish? No, no. Brazilian centre-back who speaks Portuguese from the French League in England <laughs> decides to speak to him in Spanish. Speaking Spanish. <laughs> Sorry. Sake. No, Sorry, no, no, it's fine. Cool. That's class. Um, yeah, so I think that while this year, I, if, I think I would be much more happier with his contributions this year if he'd have been kind of ended up used as emergency cover rather than, you know, he's played... 43% of the available minutes. So yeah, that's quite a lot for somebody who isn't at the level needed anymore. And that's fine. But I think this season it will have been vital to help Gabriel Magalhaes settle to kind of get Gabby moving through. Obviously, you know, he's only 19, turning 20, Martinelli. So um, I think while that's been useful for this season, he's on a lot of money and we already have a bulky squad. So moving him out next season and a few other members out next season, I think to culturally reset the club and to freshen up the place uh, is where I kind of sit with him. Uh, But he's had kind of a mixed era at Arsenal. You know, he's gone from being man of the match against United to getting sent off in the City game and assisting Raheem Sterling. Like, it's been very topsy-turvy. I think there's two there's two sides to this argument, and I'll come down kind of where I sit at the end before... I just want to lay them both out, because I, I do see both sides of the argument for David Luiz. I think merit we, to both. There is definitely yeah, merit to both. There is definitely... When we got him, it was in that summer, uh, summer 2019, Lauren Koscielny had either, either had left or was uh, very recently was leaving. Or, you know, Koscielny was leaving if, if, if he'd not left. And David Luiz felt like someone who could come in in a similar style to, let's say, Socrates, in a similar style to, say, you know, Mkhitaryan, in a similar style to, um, who was that, Licksteiner guy, to Willian, kind of short-term. Listen, we, you know, I think there is some certain merit. When a club drops out of the, the Champions League in the way we did, um, there is certain merit to uh, short-term sensible deals and and let's be clear to try and push back into it yeah and it makes and it makes a lot of sense on on the one side of the argument um and you know he's been okay he's he's had he's been david louise we we knew what he was when he came he's made a lot of silly mistakes we've had the david louise of the kind of chelsea game where he gets sent off i think in late 2019 we've had the david louise of the fa cup run and the man united man of the match man of the match ting uh ting thing um I think what David Luiz represents for me is a culture that needs to change at the club. Partly out of necessity and partly out of kind of, um, well, no, actually wholly out of necessity, really. We have to accept that we have to start making smart decisions, smart recruitment decisions, and start implementing a culture of accountability. And David Luiz, a signing like David Luiz falls under those two umbrellas because you're kind of going, okay, David Luiz was a signing that 
made sense at the time, was provide a bit of experience for us, but ultimately has made too many mistakes to justify being here. In terms of his statistics, he's in the bottom 6% for um, positional peers in the men's big five leagues. For pressures, tackles, bottom 2% for interceptions, bottom 16% for aerials, one. The guy is not performing at the top level, yet is still getting minutes for Arsenal. We have to start moving, as well as it being getting no value out of him business-wise, getting no um, getting no kind of uh, results from him, you know, other than him just being David Luiz having good and bad games. He's not consistent enough to be to to be around anymore, and we have to start moving those kind of players on. We have to start creating a culture of accountability where it's not just well, David's going to come in and okay, yes, he's experienced and all this sort of thing. He'll get us back in the Champions League, and then we'll rebuild. We're in the rebuild. Whether we, you're in one. <laughs> What's that? Parts, parts of the Caribbean. <laughs> yeah. Of the, yeah. Uh, what is it? Um, about a nightmare. You best start believing in ghost stories, Miss Turner. You're in one. We are in that nightmare now, so we have to start believing yeah. in in getting rid of David Luiz. So I think it's it's. I understand where the where the um. I think sometimes people people look back on it and go, "What oh, stupid decision!" At the time. It made a lot of sense. We were re- replacing one experienced centre-back with another experienced centre-back. But now we have to start To this- cut you off as well, I think that the club... I think that this is a mistake by the club by not accepting how far we'd fallen. We were operating like a club who was finishing fifth. But like... Obviously, Unai Emery's last season, um, uh, we finished fifth in his first season. But we were acting like we shouldn't have been fifth that season. You know, we had some dog shit moments and we were acting like a club who was performing well and regularly finishing fifth, two or three points off of getting Champions League football and going, we just need that final stop gap to get us into the Champions League rather than understanding where we were. And that's yeah. why mistakes like this happen. And I, and I think at the time... It made sense. Like, I think sometimes it's easy to look back in retrospect and go, oh, well, that, you know, that was, it was a mistake. But we we can look back at, the, you know, at, at the time, you know, you only know what you know. So we're looking at a club going, oh, we're, we're fifth, you know, had a Bamiyang finish that, you know, scored that penalty at Spurs. We're in, you know, we're in the Champions League. So it's, it's you know, we're, we're, the margins are so fine. So a deal like David Luiz made a lot of sense. But now we're in, we're in it. So I think someone like David Luiz has to go as to make way for a culture of, correct decisions david louise now we can get in and i understand the need for experience but we got pablo mari who's 27 you know rob holding is no spring chicken he's 25 or whatever like for I don't, a footballer yeah and i understand david louise there's a on the opposite side of the argument you know he obviously has some influence in the dressing room he's someone who comes out and takes responsibility whether i believe it's particularly um heartfelt genuine, or not yeah heartfelt or not I think sometimes people lean on those to be like, see, I take accountability. It's like, well, yeah, but then you go out and do it a week later. So, um, but it's the same with Mustafi, you know, yeah. pl- um, playing Zahar onside or playing him in and then yeah. shouting at the keeper for not. Exactly. It, it, it's it's the faux kind of mentality merchants again. For sure. For sure. But yeah, I think overall, like where I sit on it is just going, this, we, we are in a rebuild. We have to start making decisions where we, we're bringing in between you know 18 and 24 year olds consistently who are going to have long-term value and long-term up ups upscale in terms of skill so and we have to start doing that you know the the the, the deals like the david louise the williams the those sorts of deals can, they have a place but we've done so many of them that they they become um 
they become more harm. I think it was a phrase you used yesterday. What's what's more harmful out of keeping David Luiz or selling him or well not selling him or leave, uh, leaving him out? And for me, keeping him around is yeah. more harmful, especially when it's it's an area that you consider. We've got Saliba coming back in. We've still got Callum Chambers who isn't getting minutes. And obviously some of these players may be moved on. I don't think Saliba will be, but you might see a Callum Chambers leave in the summer. Uh, but he, again, David Luiz being there will have stunted the growth of certain people. So well, he's taken 13 matches away from... Yeah, 13 matches away from maybe Callum Chambers if he'd come back fit. Or, or Saliba. If he wasn't there, maybe Saliba would have been know? just for the numbers. So I think it's a thanks for the service, but out the door we go kind of moment for sure just looking at like it is interesting there's it's difficult because there's certain deals that make sense like the you can't like i understand when i say you know 18 to 24 that's who should be our marquee kind of signings as where should we should be aiming for players that are going to have high upsell value we need to be managing them and their contracts well all those sorts of things. There, there I, I want to be clear. There is a place for deals like Willian. Willian, I um, tweeted out some stats the other day. At the end of 2019-20, let me just find those stats because they're, they're fascinating. At the end of 1920, Willian was like, uh, well, it said statistically similar alternative signings to Willian. In terms of the big five European leagues in the season 2009-20, it plots where Willian is. He's far ahead of the pack. I'm just going to show you on FaceTime now, mate. It's on the Different Knock um, Twitter. But essentially, Willian comes out. He's the red one. Willian comes out quite high in all of those statistics in shot-creating actions, key passes, expected assists, passes into the penalty area, progressive distance carries. Now, listen, at the time, you look at that and you're going... This guy on a free, he's Premier League experienced. We, you know, we could probably use if, you know, if Nelson's going out on loan, which we probably thought, and, you know, Pepe's still stuttering. Okay, we can probably use a guy like Willian. These signings make sense at the time, but there has to be a point where you start really, really being careful about those, really being careful about your Cedrics. And I think, thing, I think Cedric is different to Willian because I think of Cedric came to Arsenal with a point to prove. He wanted to get back into that Portuguese national team wanted to be kind of getting his career restarted. Whereas I think Willian came genuinely, this is my genuine opinion of him. I think he came here to retire. I think he's here for one, and that, and you can see that in the way that he plays. And that's why this summer we need him out. Because he does not, he, because of his mentality, he will not run that extra 10 yards a fraction quicker to dispossess a player or to, you know, there, there is that moment where if he's sprinting down that left-hand channel, it opens yeah, up yeah, a pass, yeah. I think, for Pepe, a perfect yeah. opportunity for him to exploit the space, but he doesn't do yeah. it. And yeah. it is now a situation where we need to, like like I said earlier, the club need to admit that this is a full rebuild, that we, that it's like, we go again. <laughs> um, and get rid of this mentality, you know, get rid. And I, there are, I think there probably should be some casualties even from the first team now, you know, because one thing that I wanted to talk about when we recorded this yesterday, but we didn't get time to, because obviously we were, we took a lot longer formulate, formulating a lot of these points, but is the social media antics 
in that, you know, I'm seeing Lacazette and other people complain on social media about decisions in the match. Fucking complain to the ref. Get like, here's the thing. If you're, I would rather you get booked for dissent, but like be shouting at them to check VAR than to do piss all. Because at least it shows you care. I don't want none of this Twitter bullshit after the fact, because you know that you won't face reprehensive action. Is it? Is it reprehensive? I think action? it's. Re- is it rep? No, I don't think it's reprehensive. What's the retrospective? That's, that's the, the one. fucking word. I think reprehensive is like awful. <laughs> like yeah. reprehensive behavior. Reprehensible. That's reprehensible. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Anyway, so that's where. Yeah, that's where I sit on David Louise. Um I was going to make a stupid joke there, but no. Talking point number two. So this one's about European football um, and the kind of benefits and drawbacks of European football. And I kind of want to set out from the start because I kind of finished the, the, this discussion yesterday but i think it's more it's more interesting to kind of lay the base layer with it with it than, than kind to of, start with yeah. what we finished with the base layer yeah. of this obviously this debate is let's just make smart decisions let's just um sorry let me well, the, the the debate is basically around european football would it be beneficial to have a year out of europe two years out of europe should we be going for the europa league should we be focusing on the league whatever the most the 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 base layer of this is we should just be competing on all fronts building a good squad making the correct decisions getting Saka tied down Martinelli tied down uh you know getting a good striker in like making making all these smart decisions of course um but yeah let's let's kind of just you know overall that's our kind of super objective but in terms of the objectives over let's say the next two seasons what would you like to see Arsenal doing in terms of prioritization of league and Europa League and like where, where, where do you sit on that Here's the thing. I think that, in my opinion, if we, if this summer goes really well, and I said this yesterday, and I mean, if we invest heavy, we need to spend about 100 million on this squad and really churn it about. We could get um, Champions League football from the league. We saw, and I, I think it's also good, if anything, it's a good thing that this has happened. We've seen Spurs dumped out of the FA Cup, um, which, you know, they're in the Carabao Cup final, obviously, but if Jose doesn't win that final, I'm pretty sure he's out of a job. Then you're talking about, you know, another season without football, a couple of the top teams in Europe looking for, you know, you're seeing Kareem Benzema age out at Madrid. I don't know whether they've got the funds to bring in a Harry Kane, but you might see a lot of movement within that Spurs club, uh, the kind of roster. And with the debts that they have, they will be in a similar situation soon, I think, to what we were when we first started with the Emirates. They won't be in that situation for as long as we were because obviously the TV money in the Premier League is a lot better than it once was. But you're looking at that. You're then looking at, you know, Klopp is coming to the end of his tenure at Liverpool. They've already said that they're going to move on from him. Like, it's already kind of in the works. I've heard a few people talk about the fact that this will probably be his last contract there. There is a chance easily that we, if we spend well, you know, if we upgrade at right back, if we upgrade at central midfield, if we keep a cam and if we upgrade even just at maybe centre forward by 25%, 
our team does go up another level. And especially if you get out the mentality merchants, it is massively achievable. And I think having a system where either we treat the Europa League like the Carabao Cup, it's a competition for the kids until we get to say the round of 16 or the quarterfinal. And we once a week throw everything at the league. I think that in the next couple of seasons, that could be more successful than what we've currently been seeing, which is this weird mishmash of going, we want to focus on the league, but we want to win the Europa League. And that seems like the best way, but also what's what's going on and all of these things. And you kind of go, if we just took the option away and said, you have 12 months to focus on the league, one game a week, most weeks, obviously not including weeks where we play in the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup, but whatever. And we invested well. I think it is achievable. It's easily doable. But it's just a question of whether we would, one, invest well and two, do that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of a lot of truth in that, mate. And I I I really I really stand by you on, on a lot of those points. I think what's interesting is we, we, what's the what's the reasoning for us trying to get back into the Champions League? Like it's something that we we're, we're going we're going like you know oh we should get back in the Champions League, Champions League. Why do we need that? Okay, there's the more money. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like okay, so we need we need revenue. We need cash flow. We need a Champions League um wage budget we need a champions league transfer budget because that's what big clubs do it will help us kind we of, want to win the league we want to, we want to win yeah, things we have we have ambitions that's why we need that kind of money we need to be seen as a big club on the international stage all those sorts of things so the the question for me then becomes around how do we do that and i want to slightly i know i had a slightly different angle on this yesterday the europa league how much money do you get in the Europa League, right? So the winners of the 2019-2020 Europa League uh, uh, would have uh, would have been severe and they would have got 7.5 million for prize money. Not to be sniffed at. Certainly good, gets them into the Champions League. It's, um, it's a way of getting there. And it, in terms of, you know, there, there'll be loads of other, you know, you get money for qualifying from the group. You get your group match victory gets you 570 thousand euros and you know that's someone's wages for a year and you know it's 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 not to be sniffed at plus the tv money plus the you know sponsorship money the sponsorship um, um opportunities all those sorts of things compare that to liverpool who won the league their league position was first they got an equal share of 31.8 million uh overseas tv income of 71.3 million Commercial revenue of five million, merit payment of thirty-five point five million, facility fees thirty-one million, equal share thirty-one point eight million. Basically, according to Planet Football, they reckon Liverpool got one hundred and seventy-four point six million for winning the league, up from one hundred and fifty-two point four million in two thousand eighteen-nineteen. So my thing is, the league is. I think it's difficult to say whether winning the Europa League is easier than say getting fourth. It's re- it's just such, it's such a piece of string question. You don't know how. Of course, because this season that could be absolutely true. This season we've seen United go from being smacked 6-1 by Spurs to, you know, being not so just punching my mic casually, um, but like being talked about at a few points quite sillily, may I add as challengers for the title. Yeah. 
but the like but but it's yeah, so up and down for sure and it, it's 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 crazy like you 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 can't predict this league especially at the moment but i i suppose what i'm trying to say is it's more sustainable for me for a club to focus on the league because Europa League, say we put all our eggs in the Europa League basket, we go, do you know what? We're just going to try, try and get back in the Champions League by absolutely hammering, hammering the Europa League. doesn't really matter if we come 10th or 12th because whatever. In terms of money, that doesn't make sense. In terms of clout, that doesn't make sense. In terms of um, actual, like, the, the club, ultimately, as you say, we're heading into a period within the league, which I think is potentially advantageous for Arsenal. We've just found some stability, I believe, and just found the right executive team. Again, I believe. Adopted a, a correct re- recruitment policy. Again, I believe all of these things are up for debate um, at the right time. And all of these things will be proved by time. Exactly. But I believe that, that they are correct moving forward, right? What do I know? United are potentially the only team who I see in that same position as us, right? In terms of a stability and a, a clear kind of structure structure moving forward in terms of the next, say, five, ten years. Like, I, I believe they're, they're kind of, in, in terms of this, the change, you know, you never know what's going to happen in football, of course, but I believe that in their, terms of their five, ten-year plan, they have Oli in their plans, they have this, you know, structure, they're just going to keep spending money, that's fine. City, who knows what's going to happen with Guardiola, maybe it's his last contract. He's just signed a new one, but again, who knows if it is. Same with Klopp. Spurs, potentially... Um, you know, Mourinho might be coming to the end. As you say, Kane might be moving on. Chelsea are constantly all over the place. Um, they'll be up and down. Leicester, again, who knows how long Brendan Rodgers is going to be there. If they don't if they don't make top four again this season, who knows? Wolves are going through uh, uh, some troubles. Everton, how long are they going to hold on to Carlo Ancelotti? Who knows? It's it's easy to sit here. And a lot of these managers could end up being replacements. Ex- exactly. For Klopp, for... Uh, who knows? Who knows? But I think the point I'm trying to make is like, where... At this point in time, if Liverpool sack Klopp, the only way is the only way da- the only way they can go is down, right? Like in terms of like that's the only that at the moment the Premier League has the world's best managers. That's it. Maybe apart from I don't know Zidane. Like who knows? Maybe Zidane could come. Also, over. I'd I'd give a shout for kind of Nagelsmann with Leipzig. I think he is, he's another one like an Arteta will be one of the best managers in the world, but also Hansi Flick has done a phenomenal job at Bayern. Sure. So there's a couple of coaches abroad who potentially... We we have probably about 75% of the best managers in the world. Exactly. Exactly. So the Premier League is an... Managing clubs like Everton. The Premier League is at an all-time high. Carlo Ancelotti is a manager at Everton. Like, let's... Like, and I'm not, I'm not being like facetious to say things you know something like Ralph Harsenhutl good for Everton like. yeah and amazing Ralph Harsenhutl is managing Southampton that's amazing Graham Potter's a great manager managing Brighton this league is in an unbelievable position right so mm-hmm. for me I'm going I'm looking around I'm going I can't see loads of headroom on this I can't see unbelievable amounts so this is a really long way of making the point that Arsenal may be about to enter a transitional period for the Premier League where the Premier League maybe a couple of its stars depart maybe Salah goes maybe Kane goes maybe De Bruyne goes who knows all these sorts of things happen maybe maybe Pogba heads off Guardiola goes Klopp goes Mourinho goes Ancelotti how long as I say all these things the big stars of world football Ronaldo and Messi have gone they're not going to be coming to the Premier League Haaland might be coming. Who knows? I'm not saying that the Premier League's going to become some, you know, awful low, lower league, but we lit- the, the, literally the only way is down from here in terms of the Premier League. 
So the point I'm trying to make is Arsenal might be ready over the next five years if we remain consistent to capitalise on it, to take advantage and before the yeah, next... you know, it doesn't matter how you win a title. You look at Leicester. Leicester capitalised on a poor year in the Premier League and have now written themselves into the history books by winning a title. Realistically, unless you are a big, big fan of this club and a fanatic, if I were to say, where did we finish in 2007? Was it third or fourth? or second, realistically, most people won't know. But if we're talking about titles, you just, it doesn't matter. You know, obviously, I think that you, there is a bit of a star next to Liverpool's title last season, not because of coronavirus, but because it was a particularly poor year for the Premier League. Every single other team bar Liverpool dropped off, every single one. And that's fine. But that's acknowledged. But in five years' time, no one will be talking about that. No one. It will be, that was the year Liverpool won their first Premier League title. And there is a future where obviously Klopp moves on, Guardiola moves on, uh, certain star players are either sold or they start to age out. And we want to be in a position to capitalise so we can start winning titles again. And we're not going to realistically... Three or four signings elevate this side to a Champions League level squad. They do not elevate us to title winners. So what we need to do is get those three or four signings in the door so that we're a Champions League level squad and have those signings have a bit of potential to get just that little bit better so that when everyone else drops off, we're pushing up. Exactly. And and getting in those kind of those signings, as I say, with with high potential, keeping Saka, keeping Martinelli, ensuring we're we're managing those things, I think we're on a good trajectory. It feel it feels like we've almost like done a big run up. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like because we've kind of taken three steps back to hopefully go five steps forward. So yeah, I yeah, I I think there's a lot of spe- speculation, a lot of conjecture. You could have put about fifteen conjecture claxons in what I, what we've just been oh, saying. Oh God, yeah, because it's all it's all just but opinion exactly. But with our best guesstimates. Like the only way for me, if I'm looking at it, for the Premier League, for clubs like Everton, Everton are not going to get a better manager than Carlo Ancelotti. Newcastle are not going to get a better manager than Rafa Benitez in the next five, ten years, unless they get a takeover. I mean, and again, who knows what's going to happen. But in terms of the information that we have now, that's that's where we are. With Everton, Everton fans especially, I think, need to kind of revel in this current moment because I, I do... Dominic Calvert-Lewin will move on. You know, will he will be bought like by a big James club? Rodriguez pays for Everton at the moment. It's like I know yeah, that's where we but are. Hammer, but the thing is, as well, James Rodriguez is twenty nine, I think. So he will age out within a few years. This is the time for certain clubs to revel in what they have, like City fans, like Liverpool fans, and this is the time for other clubs to be building towards trying to achieve something a lot better. Okay, talking point number three. So um, I just wanted to bring up the stature or the standing and ask your opinion and where we should go from here on Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Joe Willock and uh, Reese Nelson. Now, I've picked those three out purely because, in my opinion, they're kind of the hair-end lot, let's say, of Saka, Nelson, Smith-Rowe, Willock... Maitland-Niles is a couple of years older. He often gets put in with them, but but we'll, we'll put him in there for now. And Willock. 
Saka and Smith Rowe clearly appear to have established themselves or in some way on a different trajectory than these three guys. And I just wanted to kind of get your opinion on all of three of them. I think Maitland Niles is the biggest conversation. So maybe we'll save that for last. Uh, Willock, I think, has the lowest technical ability of this Hayland lot, which is a real surprise. You know, you see people coming out of Hayland and even if they aren't quite good enough, they still have a certain amount of technical nous, which I just don't think he has, which is absolutely fine. I think he's found his level uh, at kind of bottom of the middle slash relegation of the Premier League slash top of the championship. And I think that in the summer, we should probably look to sell him on to a club like, depending on what Newcastle's trajectory is, Newcastle. Uh, Nelson is another one that I feel like it's a bit hard to, it's almost like a bitter pill to swallow because I feel like the signing of William has hampered his progress. Bringing him in when we have, when we have such, you know, exciting youngsters playing those positions just doesn't make sense. But I do think that it was silly for us not to loan him out this January. Um, And for me, and I think what we kind of ended on last episode well, this episode, but yesterday was that either this six, that he should have gone out on loan for this six months, or we should give him a new contract and loan him out for a year, because without regular minutes, he will not get into a situation where he is displacing Bakayo Saka, Gabriel Martinelli, uh, Nicola Pepe on on the left hand side now. You know, so you're 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 looking at this and going, I think the best idea for him is to go out on another loan. It's a shame he hasn't done it from January to July. And I think this would have been perfect for him to go to either a foreign club or to a championship club and pick up minutes and prove why he's good enough. But I think that we should give it, give him a new contract and just to kind of tie him down to make sure we he's a sellable asset after. And we send him out on loan for a year and see what happens. Uh, do you want to start the discussion on Maitland-Niles? Because you had a brilliant point yeah. about kind of the whole... Well, I was just... I'll just jump in on just, those just to kind of give my two. Yeah. yeah, just, you know, listen. On Nelson quickly, he's got Aubameyang, Pepe, Martinelli, Saka, Smithrow, probably even Erdegaard on the on the wings ahead of him. He's got a lot of, he's, he's, his pathway is blocked. I think, as, as you just said, I think it's a pretty cut and dry thing with, me, with Nelson. I think his main problem is, is his mentality. I've noticed Arteta talking to him from the touchline saying Reese mindset late on in games when we're trailing. Um, I think, to be honest, without some, kind of some encouragement, a, a Huddersfield-esque um, top of the championship. I, I don't know where Huddersfield are, but you know a, 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 what I mean by Huddersfield-esque is the Smith Rowe loan, a championship or um, you know Bundesliga again loan where he establishes himself, maybe even for two years, a club where he can be at because you know he'll come back. He'll be twenty three, and that's that's great for us if he comes back as a hot prospect, twenty three years old, fantastic. I think, and, and he, listen, the talent's there. The guy came on at 17 years old in, I think it might be the Champions League or, 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 or the Europa League. He's clearly a talented guy. He's clearly someone who is highly rated. He's not had the opportunities. I don't believe, as you just said, with the minutes he's getting at the moment, he will ever be able to put a run together. I just don't think he will. So I think the, it's really disappointing we didn't get him out on loan. Um, and, and that's where we are. With Willock, I think... Um, Willock to me sits as you just said as well like he's he's someone who is best without too many players in front of him um he's best he's a he's a low t- I, I i see him as a 
a low-touch player, more defensive. I'm just looking at his stats. He's in the 99 percentile for pressures and interceptions and blocks for an attacking midfielder. He is a really good asset because he's a physical player because he can also nick a goal. And we saw what happened with Newcastle when he doesn't have players in front of him, when he doesn't have too much, uh, too many, like, a, you know, a low block when to, it's cr- to, yeah, to break Yeah, and down. when there's when no has, crowding. When he has some space. Yeah, yeah when, no, when he's got some space. he's Because he is an, an effective attacking threat. We've seen that in the Europa League. But equally, he's someone who I think needs to play in a team with 45 to 40% possession because he's not the player who will... Un- unpick the lock of defences he he is perfect for someone like Newcastle and I think someone like Willock is like okay great like you know you're not going to get in our team over Erdegaard over Smithrow and hopefully whoever bring, whoever we bring in the summer it's not going to happen I don't think he can sit low as an eight he hasn't got the ability on the ball I don't think he can sit particularly as a 10 I think you know maybe in the in the in the middle of a park for somewhere like Newcastle or Crystal Palace is perfect for him and good luck to him like, let's get him off our books. Let's get 20, 20, 25 mil for him. Fantastic. That's the way the academy works. That's how smart clubs do it. That's how smart clubs do it. Yeah, you're looking and at the reimburse the move. And that's exactly. the kind of thing that we should be doing even to 60% value with our kind of young assets. He's just a square peg in a round hole. I, I don't yeah. think Joe Willick's a bad player. I just don't think he's ever going to fit in our, in our team, a team that wants to be the, the protagonists and wants to be... Um, you know the yeah wants wants to get on the ball and play so yeah listen good luck to him and i hope he does well at newcastle because it will obviously only help us um yeah maitland niles um you made a uh you start you made a fantastic point uh yesterday about i'll, look, I'll let you just speak you go the the guy uh, i'm sorry to be the stat man today but it, it just it just backs up points basically i'm a stat man <laughs> the stat man He's in the 99th percentile for pressures, 98th percentile for interceptions, for fullbacks in uh, the men's big top five leagues. He's an excellent one-on-one defender. He has quite a high XG uh, for a for a fullback as well. Um, he is clearly physically able. He's agile. He's quick. He's ta- tactically really sound. He can play the modern way. For me, with Maitland-Niles, it's pretty cut and dry. He can go and be a midfielder. Go and be a midfielder, sure. Against West Brom, uh, sorry, uh, for for a West Brom, for again, for a, you know, maybe maybe even a Newcastle or a, or a Crystal Palace or you know somewhere around that ilk, probably a bit West lower Brom than and Newcastle maybe aren't a, that far apart though. Maybe a like maybe a Sheffield moment. Maybe a Sheffield. Who knows? He can go and do that, and he will be fine. He will have a fine career. He will he will be fine, and it will be okay. And if he wants to play in central midfielder, if that if that makes him happy cool i watched him for west brom against spurs he's fine he's just a bit lazy he doesn't quite have the um the uh ball winning skills he doesn't quite have the passing range the technical assurance for me to play as a as an elite level midfielder at any kind of champions league or even europa league level club if angelo Magnin niles comes back to arsenal and says i want to be your starting fullback which he should have done two years ago, he will be our starting fullback. And if he gets his act together and sorts his sorts his head out and goes, do you know what? I have an opportunity here. I can be Arsenal's starting fullback. I can save them 50 million in the summer. I can come back, take that number two shirt off, off Hector. He can go off to PSG or the, the runway or whatever he wants to do. And 
he can be that player for us. Because Ainsley Maitland-Niles, at 23 years old, could, if he worked on his game, become an elite level fullback at of a club like Arsenal or higher. Even that, you, there are always certain members of a first 11 that don't have to be what like absolutely elite to win things we've seen it at other clubs you know Gary Neville is was nowhere near the best right back but did his job well and and that's also me not I'm not saying that he's a bad player but he was he was never like the world's best right back we, we, you don't need them to be but like you said, he just needs to commit to that position and he could have a very, very successful career with us. But whether he does... Uh, for me, uh, like, if I'm Arteta, I, <laughs> I have a meeting with him when he comes back and I go, see, <laughs> like, you are fine in midfield for West Brom, but that's not you can be an elite-level fullback. And if he goes, but I don't want to, boss. I want to be a central midfield player. Cool. All right. Okay. We'll head off then. Sell him. Fine. So like that's Done. fine, mate. But I promise you, you will regret this. Like I promise you. Yeah. And 100%. ultimately, the fullback's role can change. So you look at Hector driving on the inside. He can operate in those spaces as, as a fullback as well. Which is why it's not like we're not asking to play in goal or centre back. We're asking to play fullback. You don't. This isn't you know right back in the changing rooms levels anymore. When it's not. It's not. It's not two thousand and four. Like the modern fullback is is important and tactically important to, to the team's build up, to the team's width, to the team's dynamics, to the team's everything, energy, setting the the dynamism. You look at Matty Cash. You look at I know the obvious example is Trent, but yeah, I just I think the I hope he does the right, makes the right decision, um, and that's all I can really say for for Maitland Niles. Number four. Um, so talking about number four, I want to talk about club culture. Now, this is something that um, that I brought up. I, I wonder what your take is on where we're at with the kind of non-negotiables, where the club culture feels like it's at, where you think Arteta is at with all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, I'd just love to get your take on it. Um, I think it's good that the club culture is changing in a certain way. I think the non-negotiable. Where, where, where do you where do you think it's changing? Uh, there seems to be a lot of people who seemed to have had maybe a slightly negative influence being moved out of the club. I'm not a big fan of this whole. I think it's really difficult when you, you say you've got these non-negotiables, but then you play Willian every week, who doesn't try over certain players now. Whether that's a contractual thing or whatever, I don't know. But we made the point yesterday that you have to be consistent in public. And criticising certain people while you don't criticise others isn't good enough. And which is why we do need to go to this backroom scenario where it's fine to have these non-negotiables as long as we're clear about how they're enforced. And you should never enforce rules the same way for different players. Uh, for the same, uh, what am I trying to say? You should never, um, it should never be the same punishment in that everything has to be case by case basis. If 19 year old William Saliba makes a mistake, 
it's very different to 33-year-old William. William has been in the game for a lot longer, is in the twilight of his career and should know better. And you should come down a lot harder on that than you do on a youngster because you could destroy someone's mentality. And at the end of the day, if someone's at the end of their career, there's not really going to be much left to destroy. I hope this summer that we do get some more of the mentality merchants out as I've now coined them. You know, I think Xhaka is one that's very 50-50, very so-so. And if we did kind of get somebody in who did Xhaka's role, but we don't need to replace that leadership. But I just... Sorry, mate. I I just think that there is a few... There's still a few seeds of of that kind of mentality. I think back to that Hector Bellerin article, which I've mentioned about 9 million times, that Sanchez asked for too much. And there's still a few almost rotten apples on the tree. And I hope that they're removed, they're gotten rid of. And for me, I would have a massive reset at the club. You know, I think Aubameyang's been a great player for us, but he's 31. If we get an offer for him this summer, we should sell him on and we should look to bring in somebody of a profile for a centre-forward that fits better because I think I mentioned this to you of WhatsApp that if we got somebody in like for example Andrea Bellotti who came in and was our starting striker for one season alone he's going I'm going on the tangent this is the same tangent (laughs) I went on when we recorded yesterday we're going on it and we all we had to do is then up the goal contributions from say Party, Saka and Pepe that would be better for us moving forward than somebody who contributes to a certain and controls the mentality being club captain. I just think that I'm hoping he's learned from his mistakes in that we've got two players coming back in Gwenduzi and Saliba who could be very, 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 very useful squad members. Gwenduzi coming in back at that central midfield could be brilliant because we do not have a lot of ball carriers. And that is one thing that he is elite at is we've got, you know, most of our progression is through Saka. If we had, say, Saka and Gwenduzi in the starting 11, two players then, and obviously Party would take up that RCM role. So Gwenduzi on that left, you would then have a player on each side who really can progress a ball. Saliba as well has gone to Nice and is, you know, been voted their player of the month. They'd won something like, three games all season and they've won three and eight with him there. So these two prospects are elite. You know, we were talking about a 70, 80 million pound move to PSG for Gwenduzi. Like other elite clubs were in for Saliba. I just hope that he's learned from his mistakes of trying to prove that he's the biggest dick in the room and he can bring these people back in if they've obviously learned some discipline when it comes to Gwenduzi, when it comes to his like positional play and maybe his attitude. But yeah, that's my kind of rough and ready take on it. I'm going to not make the same joke I didn't make yesterday about Saliba and Willies. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, man. I, I Yeah, I, I think, yeah, completely see where you're coming from with all of that. I, I, I think, as I said yesterday, that, that there's a... If you're a teacher, and I use this analogy, if you're a teacher and you're going into a classroom 
you can't, you simply cannot treat every child the same. Now, that feels unfair. And that's why you get a lot of kids. Oh, it's really unfair. Well, why, well, how come? Even, even, among, even amongst siblings, you're going, well, how come so-and-so gets to do? Because people need differentiation. That's mm-hmm. how it's been proven time and time again that people need. And the best teachers are not those who just go, well, one size fits all. They are able to have um, certain principles that they have and certain uh, all-round rules and then tailor it ever so slightly. Tailor the punishments almost. Exactly. If you, as as you're saying, and that, and that's dependent on you know age, experience, all those sorts of things. Okay, uh, never ever be late for training. Sure, but boss, hang on, my tire blew up and my mum died this morning. Well, you were late for training. I don't care. That's differentiation. Do you know what I mean? Different factors, different factors come in to 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 to, to decide. You know those sorts of things. So that's a ridiculous example, but you have to. But it's also, you know, we we grew we went to university drama school in a system where if you were late, you were barred for the day. Yeah. Uh, and, th- th- so, oh, and there were only a few exceptions to that. And again, it is that kind of idea that if if a train is held up, you cannot you can't control that. Well, that's the thing. And and you know, let's using our barring system that we had at, at college if you could go, look, the train was delayed. It's on the TFL website. You were allowed in for the day. There are exceptions to the rule. The point is with Arteta is he kind of, I think he came in 100 miles an hour with the non-negotiables and said, this is exactly how we will, this is how we will live together. This is how we will do all these things. Fine. Sure. That that works in, t- in terms of coming in as a new coach, as a, as a 37, 38 year old coach, when some of your players are 34, 30, you know, 33, 34. You have to set some really, really strong boundaries and, and ground rules and go, listen, these are these are the restrictions. I think he's been slightly a victim of that because what it's meant he's done is looked a little bit silly. I think you ha- at times, for example, with like, you know, the difference in how he treats it, the Pepe red card to, compared to the Xhaka red card. You have to differentiate. You have to set out clear boundaries and rules, but he had to be so public about them and the non-negotiables because it had to change the culture. It, I don't know whether this is something he was conscious of at the time. I doubt it. I think he had to change the culture of Arsenal from a, a thing of, you know, as people have said before, you know, maybe under Wenger, you could sort of get away with, you know, not being at it at the races in training. If he was, if he, you know, if he liked you, he'd pick you. Arteta clearly has set about with Saliba, with Gwendouzi, with, um, with, and this isn't in the same sense, but you know, with with incidents like Willian, with incidents like the the Pepe one, with uh, the with the mole saying, "Oh yeah, I'm going to catch catch the mole and I'll come down hard on them." We're seeing incidents where things don't appear to be exactly as he set them out. It shouldn't be dealt with publicly. It shouldn't be dealt with in those sorts of terms. Some things were, some things weren't. Some things felt like they were over. Some things felt like they were under in terms of like William going to Dubai. The point is you sometimes have to do that to do management well. I think he's found that. But I think coming in so hard, he then gets accused of hypocrisy because you then discover, I, from the limited experience I have of teaching and, and, and looking after um, you know groups of people, is going, oh, hang on, no, no, I actually have to treat people differently. Like, because you can't just go into a group of people and go, you will all be treated exactly the same, get over it. Especially as a 38-year-old, that's really hard to do. So I just think he's found that out. Um, but yeah, I, I I think in terms of the culture, like where we're at, I think I said in a recent podcast, I think things are changing, but I don't think they've changed. And I think as what, as what you said, what did you call them? Mentality merchants. Um the mentality merchants are still there. The David Louises, the, the culture of accountability can't can't take hold and take shape until you get, 
you know, five or six players at the club in that in that window until you get David Luiz out the club until you until you bring in players who are uh, tailor made for Arteta and been hand picked by Arteta and the, and the the structure. It's really really hard. Like you know, if you're trying to implement a, a culture and a mentality, you can't. That, the culture and mentality lives in the interconnections between each person and each player. And if you haven't picked those players and those players are, have been there for a long time and been doing been used to a certain way of doing things, it takes a while to change. I think we're on the right track. Um, but yeah, I'd be interested to see, for example, someone like Bellerin, what he thinks have changed. Because like, for example, like Bellerin talking about, oh, you know, we're beating ourselves and, you know, it's our culture and all sorts of things. You set the culture, man. Like you're the vice captain. Yeah, he's part of the problem. You're there. You're there all this time, so you have to adapt. Most capped player by adapt us. or die, man. Like it's it's that simple. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think we are somewhere with club culture, but I think it's going to take certainly a little while. Yeah, a few more windows, a few more, um, a few more incidents for Arteta to really get his management style and settle down. Because as much as the non-negotiables are a great idea in on paper i just don't think in practice they really work that was a good chat as was yesterday (laughs) we've shaved 10 minutes off that's impressive it's just less impressive less of less less tangenting and waffle uh yeah what are you doing tonight are you gonna pick a pick a thing out the box I don't know. I'll ask. I'll ask the missus what she wants to do. I think she might want to finish missus. that series. What do you call uh, her? Think, do you mind me? Oh, she got... she fucking she fucking hates if I ever refer to her as my missus. The missus. Um, uh, is in what? Is in what do I just call her? No, no. Is no, like, like, yeah? Do you ever say bird? Because if so, you're off the podcast. Absolutely not. I normally yeah. say like my girlfriend <laughs> or my partner. Yeah. It sounds a bit more official, doesn't it? Sounds a bit nicer. Yeah. Um. Okay. Small talk at the end as well. Love it. We've got it. Uh, <laughs> two for the price of one. Um, <laughs> we have got Arsenal versus Leeds at home on uh, Sunday, which is Valentine's Day. Brad, if you're not, uh, I don't know, being smothered in chocolate, do you care to join us for the podcast in the evening? Oh, I will. I will ultimately, of course, be with you always. Oh, darling. Thank you. Uh, look forward to it. And we'll see you after the Leeds game. Thanks for listening to us. Just chat, waffle, uh, as always. And we'll see you you Sunday. Bye-bye. See you Sunday, guys. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Different Knock podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com. Find us on Twitter at DiffKnock and visit our website, thedifferentknock.com. Thanks. Podcast Network.